0: So before we get started, today is a little different in that our conversation covered so much ground, we decided to split it into two full episodes. So we'll get on to today's half, and the next week, we'll release the next half. You do not want to miss either of them, I promise. Enjoy! Enjoy! <laughs> hey everyone welcome to simplexity where we simplify the complexities of life and add a little curiosity and contemplation to meaningful and sometimes difficult conversations i'm your host alison stoner who are you without your name who are you without your gender without your body your personality your roles and titles Who are you without your nationality? Religion or atheism? Zodiac sign? Culture? Imagine you were free from all these identifiers just for a moment. Who would you be? What would you do? What would you say? Writer Mark Eckhart explains the word you as referring to your identity the basis of your sense of yourself. These are the things that your brain uses to create the experience of being unique, an individual separate from everything and everyone. Zen Buddhists refer to this as the small self, and understanding it begins with the question, who is the I that you refer to? If you're bewildered by this experiment, you're not alone. You ever hear the term, you're your own greatest obstacle? What if this weren't just a metaphor, but literally true? And the answer to finding out who you are was stepping beyond yourself into emptiness? Now careful, I'm not being fatalistic or nihilistic, I'm not talking about wrestling with your ego or calling yourself worthless. But what if all the hours we spent focusing on our physical bodies and the material world, on analyzing our feelings and sensations, reprogramming our thoughts and explaining ourselves, was actually not our real selves? That's right. According to Jack Kornfield, a renowned thought leader, (laughs) ironic, who trained as a Buddhist monk and holds a PhD in clinical psychology, you and I will go as far as choosing the archetype of hero, lover, mother, never do well, adventurer, clown, or thief as our identity and live a whole year or a whole lifetime based on that. To the extent that we grasp these false identities, we continually have to protect and defend ourselves, strive to fulfill what is limited or deficient in them, and fear their loss. I know I relate to that last part when my identity was in acting, singing, and dancing, and I realized that I no longer felt honest pursuing just those. I had to grieve the loss of a self. He adds in an article for the Western Indie Buddhist journal Tricycle, emptiness does not mean that things don't exist, nor does no self mean that we don't exist. Emptiness refers to the connection of life to the energy that gives rise to all forms of life. Other adjacent words you might have heard are non-separation, oneness, So is that what people are referring to when we say God the creator, or source energy, or the Big Bang? Ironically, trying to unpack this requires our brains playing with concepts, thoughts, and positions. And today we're reaching beyond that, right? So where is that? What does that place, if it's a place, feel like? This is today's guest specialty. To help us enter the realm of the soul, I'll call it, we have Sister Jenna joining us. Her small self has had a towering impact, She's a globally revered wisdom teacher, host of America Meditating, the number one radio show on meditation, and founder and director of Brahma Kumari's Meditation Museums. Half Indian, half African, and raised in America, she's traveled to 80 countries meeting with heads of government, to Fortune 500 companies, to children in villages, to folks taking their last breaths, decoding critical current issues, and bringing clarity, power, insight, and Love. During the first half of the conversation, we will expand on soul matters and the process of awakening to our higher consciousness. Later, we'll we'll dive into a different philosophy of time, her work with congressional leaders and celebrities, what yogic agriculture is the business that's become of spirituality, and a few of my own personal existential questions. Please welcome to the show, Sister Jenna. Hello.
1: Again? Yes. You know, every time I see you, I get this deep feeling that I am your mother in some previous incarnation.
0: (laughs) You're not wrong. I was on the phone. I know I look young. (laughs) I was on the phone with a friend right before this episode, and I said, she has a very maternal presence in my life. <laughs> so That's a good thing. let's uh, let's lay a groundwork for today. How do you interpret the self versus the soul? And how do they interact mm-hmm. with each other?
1: Well, firstly, I just want to say hello to everyone out there and to thank them for tuning into Simplexity. It is um, going to make a lot of shifts, and it already has shifted a lot of us. And I'm also following it on Spotify. Just FYI. (laughs) Good to know. I think your opening basically defined it already. Self is when you are very attached to the roles that you're playing. It's an attachment to the role, the labels. And it's important. We can't move through this thing called life without considering myself to be a man, a woman, a Jew, an atheist, black, white, it gives us some sort of a form because the world is in that collective consciousness. Hmm. But when we get into quiet moments and maybe when we're lying down or just having a moment in the car, the soul functions a lot. And so the soul is more the um, container, the deeper essence of the all in meditation. It is the soul that goes inside of itself to discern, do I need to keep feeding the limited self,
2: Hmm.
1: which are the identifications, or do I need to remember my sentient existence, which is an energy that radiates love or peace and purity in the role,
2: Hmm. in the
1: self. And what we are witnessing now is that we're missing feeling the essence of the soul in the self okay that makes sense so i might be the president of the country or a ceo of a corporation but there's no soul in the business or in what i'm doing it's just my role my title and nobody feels the virtues of your presence Mm -hmm. so it's not sustaining our souls at a deeper meaningful level it's just at the surface so self is connected to a lot of physical identities And the soul is the engine, it's where everything is actually taking place. And that's where we need to spend more time is with the soul. And if you want to feel a sense of how do I know or understand where the soul is, Mm -hmm. just imagine the soul resides right behind your two eyes. And the energy of who you are is just there. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's like a spark of light. And it holds everything inside of it. So now the self is just trying to sort that out along the way.
0: Hmm. And I know over the years, philosophers, neurosurgeons, religious leaders alike have encountered difficulties in trying to locate the soul in the physical anatomy of our being. Some choose the Mm -hmm. pineal gland, some the heart, some the brain, but... What we can't ignore right now is all of the mounting evidence from things like biocentrism or even quantum theory that are pointing to the fact that we are more than just clocks with parts mm-hmm. inside that help us tick, that there really is a force beyond. Now, what that looks like, of course, is sort of this mysterious place that we're playing inside while we're inhabiting these bodies. So what is the natural state then of being the soul? As in, are there eternal qualities? You mentioned purity and and love, interconnectedness.
1: It's not the state that we're experiencing right now in the country.
0: (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah. And how can we differentiate what we're seeing in our country from being connected to the soulful space?
1: I speak to hundreds of thousands of people. When you're not at peace with your conscience, and you're not at peace with yourself, if for whatever reason you have given sorrow to someone or taken sorrow from someone, that's your proof. Hmm. You're not being yourself. You're not in the real essence of the soul. It's incredible because we're in a culture right now that being outside of the awareness and the experience of the soul is normal. To be caught up in rage and deception and anger and uh, frustration and fear cells And there's a tribal connection that's um, amplifying, that's giving folks permission that that's normal and that's the way to be. Hmm. But I can assure you that when every single one of those people put their heads on their pillow at night, they're not at peace. Hmm. Because the soul is very sentient, Alison. It's like a baby, actually. It's very, very pure. And when it moves away from that original essence of itself, it then creates not only a ripple, but a ripple that doesn't stop. It's sort of like, have you ever heard, um, what's that instrument when you bang the, it not tam, it's a tambourine? Remember when we used to be in band or music, you'd bang these tambourines and it was just and it goes on and on and it just reverberates. Hmm. So whenever we go Symbols? against the... There we go. Exactly. <laughs> and whenever we go against that original essence of purity and peace, it's so painful to the self. It's clamorous. It's
0: yeah. Hmm. yeah. I can feel it in my bones when I imagine that sound
1: hmm. clanging
0: back and forth. And that's really interesting. So we, go ahead.
1: I've worked with the National Organization for Missing and Exploited Children. And I've also done a lot of work with the trafficking of organizations that are helping to reduce trafficking of children. And every time I walk into the, that particular environment and atmosphere, my whole system gets shaken, like mm-hmm. those symbols. And it becomes so super clear how absolutely unnatural this energy is. But the reality is, there is a very large industry of individuals who have become so accustomed and normalized to that energy.
0: Independent. That
1: it's marketable. And now we're in a state that we're really um, trying to decipher, how do we end such a vibration that is everywhere? And I think work like what you're doing is what's going to help to reduce it.
0: And you also have an acronym that you use to sort of help explain what uh, suppresses Uh, and interferes with this returning home. What is you it and what that? does it mean? Algae, right? <laughs> yes. What yeah. is algae?
1: Okay. So it's an acronym I use a lot. A stands for anger, L is for lust, G is for greed, A is for attachment, and E is for ego. And whenever you go against the original power of the soul, it's because of algae. When you watch other people acting up, they're under the influence of algae this is not who they really are and mm. they too don't really want to be that way it's just that they fed this consciousness so long that it's become normalized but again whenever we sit in silence and this is why a lot of folks don't like silence that energy comes up to show itself this isn't you this isn't the real I. Mm. the thing is we sometimes We need the courage to see that. And sometimes we don't have the community to help us through it, but it's gonna happen. We're gonna get there. We're gonna help everyone soon.
0: So how do we awaken the higher consciousness? I've heard it said from many teachers that it's not something we necessarily decide for ourselves. It kind of happens to us. How do we begin awakening to higher consciousness?
1: I don't know if there is a specific method in doing that other than my recommendation to everyone is start to listen to the voice behind the thoughts. So let's say I have a thought that, um, I would like ice cream. Mm -hmm. And there's another voice that says you can't gain one more calorie. So listening is to that voice. The one that consistently tells you what, what the truth is. And, and where you really are. And so when we practice to listen honestly to the self, we don't have to tell the whole world, but if we start to just listen honestly to the self, to that voice behind the thought, mm-hmm. and sometimes write that down, put it down in your in, in your notebook, on your phone, write it in your journal, revisit it, because that's the voice that is real you.
0: Hmm. So even the voice behind the inner critic, that's yeah. the first step. And we're becoming observers of the inner critic, the inner ally, all of the different personas that kind of exist within.
1: Sort of, because what's happening, uh, Allison, is that we're so caught up in the self that we're not paying attention to the soul. Right. Right. And- so the self is the distraction and the soul is the real essence.
0: Right. And there are many models that we can find with a simple Google search of <laughs> how to awaken consciousness. There's there's sort of a, a four-step way, and I, I do apologize for forgetting the source right now. But essentially, if you look at it in the four stages, that the first stage, you're becoming aware of the world around you, the culture scape of source, and that's where much of humanity is operating. And then the second stage is becoming aware of the world inside you. And that's sort of where the awakening is beginning because you'll ask the questions about the questions and you'll inquire about the superimposed ideologies that you've adopted. The third stage is the world you choose. You be- mm-hmm. can be start becoming an agent of change within that. And that's uh, stage four is when you're more aware of the super consciousness, the larger, I think, supreme self is what Mm, I've heard you mention before. So a few more questions soul-related before we shift genres. Since we're in physical earth suits while we're here, what is the wisest lifestyle to lead for our soul's development?
1: I said it earlier, get into the habit of not giving sorrow or taking sorrow from anyone this is, this is it.
0: What about a diet? And, um,
1: it's <laughs> but it's still huge. And I, I just look at the world right now. Mm. And no one's thinking about the consequence behind giving sorrow to somebody. And no one's thinking about the consequence of taking sorrow, especially when it's not true. You know, we're pulling in a lot of sorrow that's not even our own anymore. Yeah. And that's not, giving us an opportunity to enjoy being in this earth suit the body the costume you see the soul comes from a place of silence and in that silence it's like a seed nobody knows the potential of the seed but there's so much in us
2: hmm.
1: and so when we can live from that essence then the fruitions and and the way you can express yourself through the body is amazing hmm. and if we're trapped in the algae we can pump that up too, and we can give it a lot of energy and make it into whatever it is that we're seeing today. But it's going to be short-lived. And I can assure you that one of the greatest gifts that we have on this planet is to be able to see into the heart of another human being, despite how ugly and how gorgeous they might be in front of you, to see them as this essence that it came from source, so it has to return to source. And Each and every one of us have come here with a part to play and we're playing it. And when it's done, we'll take off our costumes. We'll go on to another scene. We'll play that out. And I think what's making it so complex and not simple, Alison, is our attachment to the past. So if if I'm trapped and if you're trapped and if all of our listeners here are trapped in what should have been, what could have been what didn't happen, what did happen, it's not giving me the energy to be present enough to move into my destiny. So I want the I want everyone to check one thing for me. If you feel that you're getting pushed back or pushed down, you're living from the past. The past is a push. It pushes you. It suffocates you. It makes you feel as if you're like a zombie inside. Hmm. But there's a vision. There's an attainment there's um, your future is also your pull. Hmm. And you feel that something is pulling you into the more, not because you're lacking anything, because you're done with everything. Hmm. And so the pull is taking you there. And so if we can check, am I giving sorrow or taking sorrow? One. The second thing is, am I being pushed by my past? Or am I quiet enough to feel that my pull is really what I'm holding on to or what I'm ready to feed. Hmm. And I would recommend to everyone take that moment of stillness and you will discern, you'll be able to discern. My pull is really what's trying to support me in this body.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why we're here. We're here to be pulled, not pushed.
2: Hmm.
1: And what we're seeing in the world is that everyone is pushed. And that's why it's so complex. And very few are responding to the pull. Hmm. I think it's a
0: perfect time to take a quick break. Um, And I want to present a question then for listeners in the meantime, on a scale from one to 10, how much do you walk, eat, sleep, breathe, and sit with this awareness of your soul pulling you as your constant companion in your mind? When we return, we'll get into the philosophy of time, Capitol Hill, working with celebrities, yogic agriculture, and more. Welcome back. We're here with Sister Jenna, talking all things soul and consciousness. And uh, thank you again for being here. I want to ask you about the philosophy of time. Instead of seeing human history as linear um, brahma kumaris have a different understanding if Mm. i'm not mistaken what is the cycle of time and and what are the four ages
1: ages um wow thank you for asking that question because the soul is energy and everything is energy energy really isn't created or destroyed but it changes and like i was talking earlier that we all come here. We play out our parts. We change our costumes, and we move on. Imagine the imagine the world as a stage, and imagine all the seven billion souls as actors coming on the stage. The main actors will come at the beginning, and let's just say it starts off with like this perfect idea of a story. So, in the Brahma Kumaris philosophy, we believe that every soul despite whatever condition they're in today, every soul started out 100% filled with inner capacity. Okay. There was power, wisdom, love, purity, and that energy governed everything that they wanted to do. Whether okay. it was run a country or you know, sweep the streets or make food or design clothes, they would bring the essence of that quality of their spirit into whatever the self needed. Hmm. You remember our earlier conversation of self is the connections to the labels and the titles yeah and just like the nature and just like a movie it, it you know it moves on it moves on so it takes us from the golden age that symbolizes the purity of consciousness it's it's absolutely rich and complete no issues no duality and it goes through a golden and silver-aged awareness and lifestyle and ways of living and expressing itself until it reaches a critical point where there's a division that happens or a separation in consciousness that happens for the first time. In Hindi, we call it Drapa Yuga. And in English, it's translated into the Copper Age. It's where It's like when we became teenagers for the first time, we're like, I don't have to listen to my parents. Mm -hmm. And we would never say that at two or three or four. (laughs) So when we get to that stage, we start to feel like we have the power of choice. And for the first time, algae is birthed (laughs) in consciousness. So from all the pure potential, it wanes a little bit, then algae slips in. And then it starts to continue to travel with us through consciousness of either one lifetime or many lifetimes until algae gets to a point where it is very high in percentage and the original essence of the soul has become reduced. So looking at that as a cycle of time or going through a movie from the beginning to the end, you realize that at that critical point where it's ending to almost begin, there's a big opportunity where big changes happen, a big shift that starts to take place, maybe similar to what we're seeing in, the, in America right now. I've shared with so many leaders and individuals of influence, don't worry about what we're witnessing now. I know it's dark, but it's because the light in the consciousness of many people is increasing mm-hmm. and the darkness can feel it. So it's kicking and screaming and doing whatever it can to stay in the movie. Right, So the cycle of time is that nothing really ends. It continues, but we go through different periods. So we've had opportunities in our lives where we've been in relationships and we've told ourselves, I will never, ever commit to another person like this again. And we're like, yes. Then after two, three years, they're like, I was done with anybody like that. Then on the fourth year, how did I end up with this person? He was just like my, my past person and this past person, which means everything keeps going around, kind of reminding us, have you gotten it? Do you understand?
0: Spiral staircase of lessons.
1: Yeah, did you get it? And it's better for us to be in a cycle rather than in linear, because I think we miss a lot of the the beauty of feeling this this continuity of things. And when it's cyclical, you kind of will look forward to it. I remembered I was working with somebody who was a very harsh leader, and I remembered having a choice: I can really go really negative with this person, or I can wait until I get my turn of being in charge. Hmm. It's because I know there's a cycle, and so why it's important to understand this the this cycle of time it's because the cycle of time is governed by the philosophy of karma. And when you understand the philosophy of karma, you understand that there is, um, it's a scientific law. There is an essence. There is this ability where there's a cause and effect, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: a boomerang, what goes around comes around. So the cycle basically says no one gets away with anything, but also everyone inherits everything. I feel like all of us get a chance every one of us will get a chance. It depends on how much of the essence of the self you bring into your journey while you're playing out your cycle. Hmm. So just imagine it to be a movie or imagine it to be the seasons that change. No one's gonna stop it, it's the law, the universe. And by accepting that we're in a cycle, I think it gives us more more of a sense of responsibility and accountability. Mm-hmm the best that we can. that's the word that that came to mind.
0: Speaking of responsibility, you mentioned that you spend a lot of time with people of influence. And as we've said on other episodes, influence in this regard is so arbitrary because we all have influence. But I do want to speak specifically to your series called Soul Talk on the Hill. You took viewers into the halls of the U.S. Capitol and engaged in heart-to-heart conversations with some of our congressional leaders, which I have so much respect for you for because I know that you have to be the the thermostat deciding the temperature of the room instead of just the thermometer reading the temperature of the room. Otherwise, I'm sure that could go a lot of different directions in those settings. What kind of consciousness did you find in Congress and, and who did you speak with? What's at the heart of our leadership in this nation?
1: I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but I feel that when I'm with a lot of my friends or folks in leadership, they take away the self with me. Hmm. So when I did the first series of filming, I never experienced one of them sitting there with themselves. They were just coming from a soul hmm. and from place of their essence whether it was congressman emmanuel cleaver or tim ryan who does so much good work in meditation and yoga or congressman charles wrangle who is someone i admire tremendously he was an interesting character because he was like i'm not into any of the spiritual meditation uh, but you know i'll see her anyway because she's pretty oh,
0: whatever entry point I it takes
1: love <laughs> And anyway, we ended up sitting there and there was such a deep, profound experience. And he Mm. was just the essence of this beautiful person that came across.
2: Mm. So
1: when we filmed that first segment, everyone, I just knew Congress was going to be going through a lot. And we did that about three years ago, pre this current climate. And now we've got funding for our second season. And it's been interesting to try to get some GOPs to meet with me to talk about matters of the heart, but we won't stop until we get to that dimension because I know every single one of us have that. Mm -hmm. So everyone, I feel that when I go in, I'm not there to judge. I just want America to feel hope that I, I know this is a rough road that they're traveling, but I know they have a heart. And I think we need to help to infuse that more in them because they're in a culture that basically moves them away from the soul.
0: All right, we're going to put a pause here for today. As I mentioned earlier, next week, we will share the rest of our conversation and we'll do the regular mantras for us to follow along. I promise you do not want to miss what Sister Jenna has to share. So I will catch you then. As always, thank you for listening. If you think this conversation can help inspire someone, please do share it. Um, Give yourself five seconds to rate and review the podcast. I would love to hear your feedback. And I'll see you next week with Sister Jenna again. This is Simplexity. It's anything but small talk. Peace.